Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Ben Green. Ben is a PhD candidate in applied math at Harvard, an affiliate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, also at Harvard, and a research fellow at the AI Now Institute at NYU. Ben is joining me for our continued conversations coming out of the 33rd NURBS conference here in Vancouver. Ben, welcome to the Twimmel AI podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Uh, I am as well. So, you know, as I just said, your degree is uh, going to be very soon in mm-hmm. applied math, uh, but you have applied that application of math to uh, largely an exploration of the intersection of uh, technology, AI, and social good. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, so my background is primarily computer science and data science, but I always, even going back to my undergraduate years, had a really strong interest in urban policy and urban government and urban planning. And so as I started out the PhD, a lot of my emphasis was on how can we use you know, the tools of artificial intelligence and data science to improve society mm. and participated in the UChicago Data Science for Social Good program and did some other work really thinking about how can I as a data scientist contribute to society. I spent a year working for the city of Boston as a data scientist in the middle of my PhD. But in the course of doing that work from a, originally from a more technical perspective, increasingly also came to see the broader governance, pol- political, social questions that were at the heart of this tech of these technological endeavors and often were overlooked or ignored and also played a significant role in shaping the impacts of these systems. In some of the projects that I worked on, whether it was building machine learning algorithms in the city of Boston or for the city of Memphis to help them uh, prioritize various types of inspections and investments, often what I found was that the, the key factor that shaped the impacts was not the technology itself, but the broader policy, government, political environment in which that technology was being embedded. And so that's shaped a lot of my thinking on how to integrate technology into these broader social contexts and how to think about the ways in which what are very well-intentioned efforts to use technology for good can overlook some key factors and end up failing to achieve those, those social goals. And your affiliation with the applied math department is that I imagine there are several places that you could have plugged in your research interests at a place like Harvard. Is that the selection of a particular advisor or Mm -hmm. uh, is is applied math? How does applied math fit into uh, that broader research agenda? Yeah, so definitely the really the computer science perspective, which is sort of where my more more day to day home is at Harvard is both very much a lot of my work is sort of with is all sort of within the realm of computer science both mm-hmm. thinking about those tools in the past more work on building those building AI systems for various social uh, applications uh, running different types of more recently I've been running a variety of human computer interaction audits to understand how people interact with algorithms uh, in practice and, but also my work is very much then about stepping outside of the typical modes of thinking within the field, 
bringing in other perspectives from science and technology studies and philosophy mm -hmm. and government and thinking about what and law and what those perspectives can do to inform our understanding of artificial intelligence and its impacts and how to develop it. So mm -hmm. my work is definitely very multidisciplinary and I've worked with, you know, even within Harvard at many different departments and with many different people, but the core focus has always been on the application of data and algorithms in society. So here at NeurIPS, you're presenting a paper called Good Isn't Good Enough at the AI for Social Good workshop. Tell us a little bit about the paper and, mm -hmm. and what your objectives are there. Yeah, so this paper is, so it's just a, it's a short workshop paper, so definitely not a fully in-depth discussion of these topics, but it really emerged out of my own experiences and some of the other broader examples I was seeing of these efforts to do social good that were well-intentioned, but often sort of not thinking of the full, of the full picture of what it actually means to do good. Mm. And recognizing in particular that efforts to do a, any sort of technology for social good are about uh, somehow shaping society, somehow changing society for the better. And that's, of course, an incredibly complex topic. Mm -hmm. And the two things that I really point out that I have seen missing in the majority of efforts to use AI for social good is first uh, what I would think of as a normative theory, a sort of grounded definition of what good actually means. Mm -hmm. Typically, uh, most groups will talk about AI for social good and the social good part is sort of taken for granted what that might mean. But of course, okay. as you can sort of, if you step out of the AI space and just think about our broader social political world, there are many defi different definitions of what's good and many nuances within that type of debate. So there was often a lack of sort of a normative discussion about what are we trying to accomplish. And then the second part was a lack of what I would call a theory of change, a theory or sort of a grounded justification for how the particular technological approach being taken is an effective means to getting to the social good and uh, whatever that end may be. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the time, uh, even in cases where perhaps the uh, an important problem is recognized, the particular mode in which technologists go about trying to solve that problem may not be the most effective way of achieving that end. If you take the social good or the social impact as the, as the ultimate goal here and mm -hmm. think about the technology as a means to achieving that goal. Um, and so both of those things are, I think, pretty significant challenges, certainly one, not ones that cannot be overcome. But the types of things that really need to be incorporated into these, into these discussions, I like to think about it, and in, and in some sense, this is really what the goal of the paper is to do, is I like to think about it in terms of rigor, right? That when we talk about AI for social good, what we're actually doing is really expanding what we're trying to accomplish with an AI system, right? We're not simply saying we want to build a tool that can efficiently predict this or you know, efficiently analyze this data, but we're trying to build a tool so that it can achieve or advance this social outcome. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to bring is a sense of here are things that we're overlooking, failing in many cases to think about, and trying to frame that as a lack of rigor in these efforts, that we're actually not mm -hmm. thinking about factors that are incredibly important in shaping those outcomes. And that to the same extent that we would 
never accept a system that hadn't done an analysis on some sort of holdout uh, test data set. We also shouldn't be accepting systems for integration into a societal context that also hasn't done some sort of analysis of, well, what will the impacts of this system be in practice? How is it actually going to affect mm-hmm. the system that we're trying to impact here? And bringing in more of those types of socio-technical analyses uh, into what it means to build and evaluate these types of systems. Uh, the way you've framed those two components, establishing kind of a normative definition for good and a theoretical framework for understanding the implications of a particular technology sound like ideals. Are you holding these up as, you know, kind of hurdles that, you know, should be overcome in order to, you know, before folks kind of embark on their AI for social good projects or, you know, more like conversations that we need to be having? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both. I wouldn't view those as as being in in contrast with one another. It's definitely, I would say, centrally about conversations. There's mm-hmm. certainly not uh, a single answer to any of these things, both within the field and without the field, you know, philosophers and activists mm-hmm. have been debating questions about what is good and how do you get there for forever, essentially. Sure. Are there, are there so, examples from other fields where good or even something, you know, as broad as good has mm-hmm. been successfully defined and used as a foundation for mm-hmm. kind of further work? Or mm-hmm. would this be ground that we're breaking in, in AI? So it's definitely not ground that's being broken in AI. I would mm-hmm. I would say again the point is not that there are, there are other fields. It's less about there are other fields that have come up with the definition of good, yeah. but there are other fields that have figured out how to incorporate these sorts of conversations into what it means to do this practice. So one of the places that I've been looking, and this is a paper that I just finished and will be published at the 2020 uh, Fat Star Conference, Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency, mm-hmm. uh, my co-author and I, we looked to the law. And we looked to debates in the law in the 20th century about how they moved from a system that was very formalistic, that said the law has these rules, we can just deduce from these rules, how do we get to the right outcome? Mm-hmm. And there were a number of challenges to the law, uh, a shift from what was known as legal formalism to what was known as legal realism that said legal practitioners, whether lawyers or judges or scholars, need to figure out how to reason about the law in terms of the impacts that it's actually having in real people's lives. It's not Mm -hmm. just about, did you apply the principle of liberty correctly, but how will this application of the law affect people's liberty in their real lives, right? That's sort of what the realism is doing here. And so uh, and so this paper is about shifting from what we might call algorithmic formalism to a mode of algorithmic realism, mm. recognizing that, you know, the law is a place, while typically viewed as being in conflict with uh, technology, and there certainly are conflicts in many ways, the law is another mechanism for having a structure to uh, a mechanism to structure our decision making and to structure the rules by which we allocate decisions and resources. And in many ways, that's what AI, when applied to city governments or healthcare systems or any number of different contexts are doing, right? It's providing a way to, uh, to distribute, to make decisions, to manage discretion. 
And so I think that by taking, for example, some of those lessons of the law, which I've always been thinking about, how do we understand, or not always, but have for many years been thinking about how do we emphasize the the quality of a legal analysis, not in terms of its sort of whether or not it fits the ideal theory or the principles within ideal theory, but how does it affect society? And I think in many ways, that's where we should be moving to uh, in these contexts of building AI for society, right? The goal Mm -hmm. is not to just build these systems for these systems' own sake, but because we're trying to advance some sort of social benefit or social outcome. Mm -hmm. And so is the paper, is it prescriptive in the sense that it tells a practitioner who buys into this Mm -hmm. vision what to do next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're certainly not prescriptive as saying, you know, here's all of the answers. It's a, this is a broad, a broad shift, but uh, yeah, so we, we provide, and I think, you know, and these sort of things that orient, we call them orientations that we're putting forward are very much also aligned with what I recommend at the end of this uh, AI for social good paper here Mm -hmm. in NARIPS. But, you know, one is really thinking about what are those normative commitments that you want to embody within your application? What might you be taking for granted as things that are good or not good if you're not interrogating those things? Mm -hmm. How do you bring in a more interdisciplinary approach, recognizing the variety of different perspectives that might come to bear on that system or the ways in which the uh, interactions outside of what we would think of as the algorithm itself can affect the impacts of that system. So expanding beyond what are the technical specifications in terms of accuracy and efficiency, but what happens when you put this into the middle of a healthcare system and you need doctors to be working with it in practice? How does you know, what what happens there. And that's just as central. Uh, And then really engaging with the context of the problem and ultimately from what what we call uh, an approach of agnosticism, right? Recognizing that the AI can be built in many different ways and that the AI is just one way of approaching a social problem. That if the goal ultimately is not about building the system, the goal is about advancing some social outcome, that requires a different sort of stance of understanding, okay, well, what type of system should I build? What is the best contribution that I as an engineer can make into this problem? And how might that be different from building the sophisticated system that sounds really cool from an engineering perspective, but may not actually be the best data analytic tool for pushing the ball forward on this problem? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a variety of questions and prompts and sort of things like that to start start thinking about. And then there are, you know, getting at what that looks like in practice at every single one of those decision points is certainly an area for further work and one that other people also are, are thinking about a lot. A big part of your work is kind of thinking about and providing a framework for thinking about kind of unintended consequences in the application of technology to social good are there you know specific examples of these that uh, are most salient for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know I think there there are a couple. I would say the one that I always come back to because this is the focus of my dissertation work are uh, algorithms in the criminal justice system, things mm-hmm. like predictive policing and risk assessments, mm-hmm. and 
These are systems that often are deployed under the idea that these are effective ways of achieving some form, some type of criminal justice reform, right? Mm -hmm. Of taking this system that is broken in a number of ways and helping to improve it. And I think that that's a, an example of where thinking about what the typical sort of we can build an algorithm for this problem approach, where that can go wrong. Because I think that ultimately what we're doing with these systems is not just uh, improving a particular aspect of the system with these algorithms, but actually affecting the broader landscape of what it means to do reform, what sorts of shifts that we're taking. Mm-hmm. So now the example that, that comes mm-hmm. to mind, uh, I'm sure for many uh, who follow this space is like the compass system mm-hmm. that was written about extensively in a ProPublica report mm-hmm. maybe a couple of years ago now, a year and a half ago? 2016, I think. Oh, 2016. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, but that's a system that is being you know, developed and promoted by uh, a you know commercial entity. Uh, and it's not at all clear that their goals are, you know, reform or social good for that matter. You know, is that the the example that comes to mind for you or are there others? And, and, you know, certainly there are folks that are, you know, whose primary goal is, you know, social good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is not necessarily one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely varies. The, comp, the, the landscape is sort of complex and there are definitely just companies trying to make money out of this. And there mm-hmm. are, I think, also definitely... Uh, computer scientists and other folks who are genuinely excited about these tools mm-hmm. uh, as as a way of improving the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so two two different, very different types of unintended consequences that play out there that I have looked at in my research. One being again going back to this human computer interaction component, where a lot of my work and other folks have done similar work is looking at okay, well, you have this system that seems like it's able to make these decisions. What happens when you actually put it in practice into the context? Are people using these predictions in the way that you would expect? And what what I and others have found is that people uh, can incorporate can in- inject their own different types of biases in terms of how they respond to these systems, or they might ignore the recommendations, uh, or only use the recommendations in a unexpected and sort of particular way that has, you know, that benefits one group versus another. Mm-hmm. So that's a particular type of... Un- Are there specific examples of that that come to mind? Yeah. So uh, so in my work, I've looked at how uh, this is lay people, not judges, but how lay people can be more likely to be influenced by higher recommendations of risk from an algorithm when that defendant is black compared to when the defendant is white. Mm-hmm. So they might be more susceptible to using it in certain directions in certain cases. So they'll have a higher, they'll be pulled in, in a higher risk prediction for black defendants and a lower risk prediction for white defendants. Mm-hmm. And then others like- Meaning many, the, the, the groups that you studied or the research that you're referring mm-hmm. to demonstrates that, that folks are more willing to defer to the authority of an algorithm that they don't understand mm-hmm. in the case of a, a black defendant than a white defendant. Is that the yeah, essence so of it? Yeah, so it's or? that they, they defer- in different ways depending on the defendants, right? Mm-hmm. So if essentially if the algorithm is telling you to increase your score, you're more likely to follow that recommendation for black if the defendant is black. Mm-hmm. And if the algorithm is telling you to decrease your score, mm-hmm. you're more likely to follow that if the defendant is white. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, through the point and sort of the, you know, how this 
this is this clear example of how we might think about the system, we analyze, we can audit the system on its own terms a great deal, but what we're actually doing is incorporating this AI system into a very complex social, political, government context. And mm-hmm. so how it actually gets used in that context may lead it to have very different impacts, uh, even just in terms of the decisions that are made, then we might expect from doing a analysis of the algorithm's recommendations on their own in terms of accuracy and false positives and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is adding even just more dimensions to something like what the ProPublica article was pointing out in terms of disparate uh, false positive predictions and saying above and beyond those types of analyses, we can also study how these algorithms will affect decision making when you mm-hmm. put them closer to or in their in their real context. Mm-hmm. Uh, also makes me think of uh, the use of facial recognition technology by law enforcement mm-hmm. groups. Uh, Amazon is, has been central to many aspects of this conversation. And uh, when I talk to them, they defer to, you know, documenting proper use of these mm-hmm. systems. Uh, you're suggesting that improper use of of these systems is, in fact, like systematic. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, maybe it's not enough to just point to the documentation. Is that a conclusion that you're making or? I would say, yeah, I think, I, I think you know, that's a useful framework for thinking about some of these systems and facial recognition is a good example here. There are questions of both, is the use, is the actual use proper? Right. So do we get proper improper use in practice? Mm-hmm. So that's one way of breakdown is that what the we get improper use in practice. The other would be that proper use would itself be troubling. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that many of the systems I would there, I think there are a lot of systems, facial recognition being one of them, that proper use is itself troubling. Mm-hmm. Right. So and and similarly with with risk assessments, I would make the same argument that there are definitely breakdowns that can happen in practice, things like the types of bias, human biases I was talking about a minute ago. But then there's also the question of, you know, what happens if the system is perfect? Mm-hmm. Right. So with facial recognition, there's been great work showing that these systems are flawed and biased in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. But the answer there is not to say, well, we just need to have proper use and proper systems that are perfectly accurate. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the way that facial recognition systems are primarily being used is, you know, law enforcement and corporate surveillance. Right. So mm-hmm. having a system that just works better and is better able to document people is not necessarily the outcome that we actually would want. And that's a place where the proper use is itself a problem. And because why? Because their perfection and successful use promotes further surveillance and that in and of itself is kind of taken as uh, negative or Mm -hmm. because there are specific outcomes that are uh, that you predict or see based on their their use. Yeah, it's definitely that it's you know, it's about thinking again. Not it's about taking the, the a system like facial recognition in the broader context and how it gets used, right? So, if the primary use of these tools are, you know, think about law enforcement being able to have better records of where everyone is going in the city, more ability to track people, and that to me and to many others is an incredibly dangerous prospect. The idea mm-hmm. that 
you are fully tracked just by stepping foot into, you know, downtown Vancouver where we are right now, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, that type of surveillance typically has the the most significant harms for minorities and the low, and lower classes. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that we would just want to make those systems more accurate and more technically sound is only enhancing the ability for those broader types of systems to be developed. Mm-hmm. So I think that thinking through, I think it's really important for folks who are trying to think about the social consequences of AI to sort of think about it in this in this way of you know where are problems occurring because of improper use and where would proper use itself be bad and I think that's a really helpful heuristic for thinking through mm-hmm. what types of challenges we want to make to these systems. Mm-hmm. So you know in my in my work on risk assessments, there are all sorts of improper use critiques to make or sort of improper engineering critiques to make about flaws in the training data or flaws in the human interactions. But then there are also critiques to be made of even a perfect system would itself be bad. Right. And we need right. to we need to be able to think about that relationship between those different types of harms and different types of breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that doing that can inform a lot of both our understanding of these systems, but also our work as computer scientists to understand these systems and actually understand what are the types of flaws that we should be actively working to fix and what are the types of flaws that can prompt us to do a larger process of reimagining what types of systems we're building, reimagining what problems we're choosing to work on in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, and this comes back to, you know, something I talk about that comes up a lot in my conversations, uh, I am often sort of advocating for a position of what I would call a political orientation among computer scientists about thinking about mm-hmm. these types of questions. That's obviously an uncomfortable thing mm-hmm. uh, as a scientist and an engineer who has been sort of taught that you are to, to work from an objective remove and a position of neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the key things in sort of thinking about how to do that is to understand what we mean when we talk about objectivity and to think about how there are many types of decisions that sort of fly under the radar of what we would consider objective and that we can play with those, right? So when I say, you know, political, the point is not to make up data or to make up results that would advance an empirical finding that you would like to show, but to think about what types of problems are you choosing to work on in the first place? Mm-hmm. Who are you choosing as your domain experts? Who are the partners that you're trying to work with and build systems for? Those are all ultimately incredibly what I, I would call political questions, right? That mm-hmm. choosing choosing a problem to work on is in many cases, you know, that's projecting a vision of a good society or a vision of where society has gone wrong. And then, you know, building systems within that doesn't necessarily require uh, rejecting the typical modes that we would use when building and evaluating AI systems. But that's one way that we can think about stepping back from our typical process and recognizing the decisions that we're making often without realizing it about what we're going to work on or who we're going to work with. But those can be incredibly consequential and simply choosing a slightly different problem or a slightly different partner 
uh, can have really big consequences and can very much shape what the type of system you're building is or the types of impacts that you're going to have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we've maybe strayed a little bit from mm -hmm. kind of establishing a, a, a basis for what we mean by good or social mm -hmm. good and a theory of the relationship between technology mm -hmm. and social good. I think we've kind of spoke, talked a little bit about yeah, the first I would say part all of that. Of this, all of this is definitely very central yeah. to, to exactly those, those questions. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but the, you know, the latter of those two points, mm -hmm. kind of a theory for, you know, the relationship between technology and social, social impact. impact, you know, what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's like what we've been talking about, right. like what, you know, you do, you know, you do X that has implications A and B and kind of just thinking through that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you talk about it as kind of a theory and you, you may have said formalism or I'm like mm -hmm. kind of implying that, like, yeah. you know, how and you said rigor, like uh -huh. how how rigorous can we get? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, you know, I, I like to talk about it as in terms of a theory of change, right? And mm -hmm. this is something that definitely comes out of more, I guess, political activist circles, right? That mm -hmm. you're thinking about, okay, how do we tie our actions now to the outcomes that we want to get to in mm -hmm. the medium or long-term, right? How do we think of any particular intervention and making the impacts that we want to make? Mm -hmm. And that's you know, that's an incredibly hard question, but one that many different areas of, uh, you know, people in government, political activists and social scientists and others have been thinking about a lot and in sort of a broader sense. And then there's also a great deal of work in STS and critical algorithm studies and philosophy of science and other fields that are looking at how our technologies that are built and put into an applied social context actually affecting the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that by starting to pull all of that together, we can start to have some, some better ways of thinking about, you know, okay, if I'm trying to achieve, you know, X goal, how can I think about what type of system I can build to achieve that goal? Or how can I think about the ways that the system that I built that seems to advance that goal could end up sort of splintering off in any different number of ways? And a lot of, uh, you know, great work in law, for example, has been looking at how laws meant to uh, protect against discrimination or protect civil rights can end up getting wielded and used in unexpected ways mm -hmm. that actually have impacts totally counter to what the developers uh, or the creators of that law were intending. So, you know, it's an incredibly, it's a, it's a complex area, but I think that starting to, you know, look to some of those areas, uh, you know, we can look at, for example, okay, how have particular types of anti-discrimination laws and efforts been effective and been ineffective? And how can we, I think a lot of the work on fairness, for example, today uh, mirrors a lot of the typical modes of anti-discrimination work in the past mm -hmm. that have not necessarily been as effective as they 
were intended to be. And I've written some about that. And Anna Lauren Hoffman at the University of Washington has a great paper on that. So that's an example of how we can look to some of these other fields and other areas and historical contexts, uh, both for corollaries of how certain types of efforts have uh, gone wrong or been effective, and also the lessons learned in terms of what it means to uh, advance a particular social project in a way that is is robust. Mm-hmm. But but then to get to get more granular here, uh, you know, I think a couple of the things that that computer scientists can do, you know, I think that thinking about the socio technical context is super important here. Uh, one of the ways that these unintended impacts go wrong, as we've been discussing, has been you know you put it into a context and it doesn't actually get used in uh, the ways you might expect. And I think that part of this is if we can if we think about the work that we're doing from this perspective of uh, impact and theories of change, those types of things can shift from unintended impacts to things that we've thought about ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So taking those you know, human interaction audit studies and making that an integral part of building a system that's going to be used in an applied context or thinking about what is the what is the policy domain that I'm working in and how have other efforts in the past and today been successful at trying to challenge some of the issues that I'm challenging or been effective at moving the ball in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So there are, I think, sort of there's this larger conversation to be had. And a lot of that is then, you know, talking to domain experts and talking to people outside the field. But then also, I think there are just ways of having a more socio-technical orientation that can take what today would be called unintended consequences Mm -hmm. and bringing them into the design process earlier Mm -hmm. in terms of, okay, how do we prepare to test if that consequence is going to happen? And how do we uh, make that central to what it means to evaluate this system rigorously to Mm -hmm. bring that back into the conversation? A lot of what I'm hearing here is going back to uh, as practitioners, we should be thinking more about these issues. You know, I wonder, you know, for practitioners, you know, do we know how to think about these issues mm-hmm. and do we need more? Yeah, obviously, we should be thinking more about these issues, but do we need more, you know, structure, frameworks, rigor? You know, do we all have to go back and get degrees in STS or other <laughs> things in order to kind of reason through these issues? It seems like at some point, um, you know, it's it's very reductionist, but like, you know, we need a checklist or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some kind of map mm-hmm. or some kind of, uh, you know, or at least, uh, you know, a list of, you know, required reading or something mm-hmm. like that to kind mm-hmm. of narrow the scope. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that, you know, we're just being lazy and we should just think? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, you know, and I think one thing that's really important to 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 say on that last point is like the goal of this is not to say you computer scientists are evil or malevolent no, or lazy, yes, right? Of not. Um, but to say that the at its foundations, this is not the type of thing that the field is trying to think about. Right. So you know, even going back to 
the types of things that would be taught in an algorithms 101 class or like your canonical AI or other CS textbooks, mm -hmm. these sorts of things don't come up. So I think it really does come back to this question of education mm -hmm. and training and sort of the broader culture and norms within the field. So these mm -hmm. are, you know, these are certainly things that are hard, really, I would say long-term shifts for the field to be, to yeah. be building. Yeah. But I think that, um, starting to think about how to incorporate these other, other disciplines into CS education that, that, or not just incorporating, but also expanding the boundaries of what it means to study computer science, right? That studying mm -hmm. computer science means not just studying, you know, algorithms and their efficiency and what's an MP hard problem, but also studying STS to understand how algorithms are affecting society and mm -hmm. studying at least some form of, you know, the policy or social domain where you're maybe interested in applying, right? Like, if you're interested in the criminal justice system, taking classes in those areas yeah. or finding ways to have rich aspects of those fields or courses brought into a computer science uh, training world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there are a lot of efforts to, to do that. There is, you know, efforts to incorporate ethics training uh, into courses. There's an effort at Harvard to do that, led by Barbara Gross. There are efforts at a lot of different universities now. There are these sort of AI ethics or mm -hmm. variants on that type of class. And so, and that's this, you know, that's sort of the right start to be moving yeah. in is how do we expand the training that you're receiving as a computer scientist, but also in maybe a broader sense, how do we change what it means to be a computer scientist through that mm -hmm. training mm -hmm. so that these types of questions are not external to your professional responsibility or to the types of things that might come up in peer review mm -hmm. uh, if you're a researcher, but are the among the fundamental questions that are going to be raised. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's you know a lot of work to be done at both the scholarship level, thinking about what does this even look like, and then at the education level, thinking about how do we take these broader lessons and incorporate mm -hmm. that into my undergraduate and graduate curricula for mm -hmm. what it means to study machine learning in a different way than right. we would have studied machine learning even five years ago. Right. And also referring back to an earlier part of the conversation, implications for those people that are activists or trying to affect change within mm -hmm. uh, not just education, but, but practice uh, a way to kind of constructively look back at, you know, at, social change across, mm -hmm. you know, other fields within and out and without technology mm -hmm. and identify, you know, what's working, what's not working yeah. and um, use that to rethink the way, you know, we engage in conversations around AI for social good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, again, like none of this is to say that we can't, you know, that, that the types of tools or the types of methods that we have that are, you know, what I would call the more sort of algorithmic formalist methods are, bad or should be completely thrown away or that every single person needs to do every single one of these things. But I think particularly as the field becomes more oriented around questions of social good and social impact and mm -hmm. uh, thinking about these applied domains, that only becomes more and more central. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to think about building if you're a systems architect and not thinking about the social impact, I mean, there are always social impacts and always ways to be thinking about that every, about ethics and mm -hmm. architecture that everyone should be having. But I think particularly 
where this really comes to the fore is in the shift in, in the field towards uh, applied work, yeah. towards social good, which is both uh, an incredibly exciting move for the field to be making, but also a move that requires uh, you know, a sense of humility and responsibility for mm-hmm. what that means and a recognition that that means uh, incorporating new types of knowledge production and expertise and opening up the bounds of what expertise even means or who is an expert yeah. uh, into the field. Awesome. So. Awesome. Well, Ben, thanks so much for sharing a bit of what you're up to. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Same. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.